Hello everybody, welcome to this next edition of our study of the book of Revelation. We have so far done two parts and this is part three. I would like to just remind you that all these are posted on my website malcolmheading.com so you can view them again at your leisure. So today we then turn again to this remarkable book. Before we encounter the dramatic events of the end time, which will unfold on the earth so as to facilitate the revelation of Jesus Christ or his second coming, we are introduced to the two realities that anchor our faith in God. So this is very, very important before John turns to these cataclysmic events that take place on the earth, he turns our attention to two great realities that will anchor our faith if we get them into our hearts and our minds. And these are the following. Number one, sovereignty. And number two, redemption. The question of sovereignty is the subject of Revelation chapter 4. And I'd like to read just one little scripture from that section of the book of Revelation. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. At the beginning of chapter 4, John is called into heaven, and once there his eyes gaze upon what we can call the very nerve center of the whole created order, and that is the throne of God. This throne is all glorious and is encircled by an emerald rainbow. It is also transcendent and therefore entirely removed from creation. The throne of God is then, in all respects, self-sufficient. It is magnificent and beyond words in description, and it is all-powerful. And John is swept up into this incredible throne room. Encircling the throne, he sees a heavenly court of angelic elders and the Almighty himself. He is not seen. God is not seen. He doesn't actually see the form of the Almighty. But he is described as the combined brilliance of jasper and sardius stones. Unbelievable. And so this brilliance of God is seen, but he doesn't describe or see the form of God. Seven lamps <clears throat> of fire, we are told, symbols of the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit spoken of in the book of Isaiah, are set there as well. And in addition, four living creatures, symbols of Jesus' life and ministry as reflected in the four written Gospels are also in attendance. And so this magnificent scene confronts him. 
This glorious scene unfolding before John's eyes, we are told, sits on a magnificent sea of glass. Everything here speaks of rest. It speaks of control. It speaks of authority. And it speaks of power. There is no sense of panic or urgency here. There's no sense of crisis here because an all-powerful and sovereign God is in total control of his world and therefore his eternal purpose is on track and cannot be subverted. Nothing, absolutely nothing can shake him, but he can shake the world and will. And as we gather at this time, the shaking of God is all over our world as we face this coronavirus. But in heaven, there is absolute peace. All is at rest. The God of the Bible is sovereign and in control of his world completely. And so we are told that all of the heavenly host rightly worship him and acknowledge his holiness and his glory. They ascribe blessing to his wonderful name and proclaim that indeed he has created all things and that by him they consist and are upheld. This is bold truth sweeping away the foolishness of godless evolution. We are confronted here with the creator of heaven and earth and everything that is in them. As we see the scene, by the help of the Holy Spirit, who illuminates the pages of Scripture, we too, like John, are caught up into heaven and we long to be there. May it be, as you read this chapter, may it be as I read this chapter, that the Holy Spirit falls upon my life and somehow illuminates the words of this passage and makes the scene there vital and real to my heart and to yours. Our God is indeed sovereign and exists as three persons. All of these have the very same essence. We see the Father on the throne, a blaze of glory, we see the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit and we see four creatures that remind us of the life and the ministry of Jesus, that he was a son of toil, that he was a son of man, that he was the son of David and like an eagle, the son of the living God, all reflected in the four Gospels that we have in our Bibles. What a wonderful picture of a triune God, but actually having the same essence in the three persons. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, meaning one essence, John chapter 10 and verse 30. In these turbulent and dark days, we need to rest our eyes and faith upon these things. The message of chapter 4 is clear. Heaven has everything under control and 
if we will focus on this glorious place, we will have nothing to fear and a wonderful joy and peace will flood our hearts. And especially so as the great events of the end time in all their challenge seem to be approaching with ever increasing speed. We need to focus on the throne of God, stability, absolute joy and peace, a sense that God has everything under control. So that's the first interesting and wonderful thing that John sees after his address to the seven churches of Asia. Secondly, he also has a great vision of what we call redemption. And this is chapter 5. And here too I'd like to read uh, briefly to you from that passage. Listen to this, chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Wonderful, wonderful praise and ascription to the redemptive power of God in his son Jesus. So, as John now turns his attention to the things of the earth and the great redemptive act of God, he knows that the situation on earth is entirely different to that which he's seen in heaven. It is chaotic. It is filled with the darkness and the wickedness of sin. Even the natural creation of fawn and flora, we are told in the Bible, has become fallen, downgraded and polluted because of humankind's rebellion against God. You can read that in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Maybe we should just read it together. It tells us that even the natural world, the created world of fawn and flora, has been downgraded because of the immense pollution and wickedness that has filled the earth and the hearts of men and women. So listen to these words in Romans chapter 8, and we find them in verses 18 to 22. And here the Apostle Paul says the following, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, that glory of heaven that John has just seen. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is our resurrection on the day of revelation when Jesus comes again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So creation anxiously awaits a resolution to the problem of sin and wickedness 
and evil and chaos on the earth. John, overcome by this appalling reality, looks for a deliverer on earth who will save the earth and her inhabitants from this great chaos and wickedness. He looks around upon the earth for a deliverer who will step forth out of humanity and save us from our mayhem. One who would bring an end to evil. One who would deal with the chaos of the world. And one who would reconcile us again to God. But sadly, there is no one. He finds no one. And the Bible says that he weeps as he recognizes the awful truth that we are trapped forever in a cycle of utter gloom. Of a truth, the chasm or breach between God and the people of this world is so great and so far-reaching that no human being can close it. It is, in all respects, a bridge too far because humankind's sinfulness falls hopelessly short of the perfection of God. Even our best efforts, our good works, are just wicked because they cannot, they cannot reach the perfection that God requires. And even the most saintly people on earth without God, as we would deem them to be, cannot reach him. We are consequently forever separated from God and therefore doomed and destined to spend eternity under his wrath. Just think of that. We are doomed and destined to spend eternity under his wrath. No wonder we are told that John wept when this truth impacted his very heart and soul. He wept. Indeed, would to God, I say that reverently, that we would all weep because of our sinful condition. But then John sees a lamb, as if slain, in the midst of the throne. And this lamb steps forward to take the scroll of seven seals from the hand of God. That is the title deed to all things on earth by which sin is cast out. Evil is overcome. Men and women are reconciled to God and delivered from the ravages of the devil by the lamb's indestructible and perfect life and by his death on the cross and resurrection, he has breached the chasm and reconciled us to God, his Father. What a wonderful blessing. Without him, we have no hope. He is the deliverer. He is the mighty king who came down, took on flesh, and did what we just cannot do. How wonderful this is.
And he, by these actions, his remarkable atonement, and by the fact that he has a seven-scrolled title deed in his hand to earth, this enables him to pave the way for his revelation or second coming, by which he will triumph and assert his liberating authority and power over creation, over the human race, and over the devil. Heaven rightly rejoices. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you are slain, we are told. You are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, out of every tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. The earth will spring to life. The very created order will welcome the revelation of the glorious resurrection and coming of Christ. Heaven rightly rejoices. The Lamb will thus open the seven-sealed document. This imagery, actually, for our understanding, is taken from the book of Jeremiah. Since in his day, when you bought property, it only became yours when you actually stood on the property and broke the final seal of the deed of sale. And you can read this in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 9 to 12, and Jeremiah 37, verses 11 to 12. And Jeremiah buys this property. He buys this tract of land. He's given a seven-sealed document. But the only way he can legally take possession of it is to put his feet on it and break the final seal. And when he does that, the property is his. So this is the imagery that is presented to us in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. Jesus is going to open the seals. And when he opens the seventh seal, he will put his feet on the Mount of Olives and come again. It is the title deed that will pave the way by virtue of his death, burial and resurrection for him to take possession of the earth by his glorious revelation. So when Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, as the word of God promises, and as the angelic host said to the disciples when he ascended, when he does that, the final seal will be broken and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And we, we are told, shall reign on the earth with him. Hallelujah. What an amazing day of triumph this will be. No wonder when Paul wrote to Titus, he called it the blessed hope of the church. We should keep it before us as we think of everything that is happening around us. We have the promise of the one who owns the heavens and the earth and will take possession of them when he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. In essence, then, the scroll or seven seals is the key to understanding the book of Revelation because 
All else in the book is then an in-depth commentary of these seals. This is it. It's not the bowl judgments or the trumpet judgments that appear in the throne of God, of which there are seven of each. No, it's the seven sealed title deed. And when it is broken, it is finished. When the final one is opened and broken and Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. So these seven seals give us a sweeping picture of all the events of the end time, of which all the other information in the book of Revelation is a commentary. This commentary includes a description of cataclysmic events and the players around them, like Israel, the Antichrist, the two witnesses, and Babylon. May God bless us as we think of these things. This is Malcolm Heading.